Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I want to welcome you to the premiere episode of Footsteps in the Attic. This is a podcast dedicated to all things creepy and all things paranormal. Basically, if it scared you when you were a child, I'm probably going to talk about it. Um, You'll have to excuse me. This is sort of a low-tech operation to start out with, so there may be some audio glitches. You may hear a little bit of snow, but I promise you I will improve as time goes on. Um, You may also hear um, crickets right now. That actually is not my window wide open. That is my wave radio which I put on for some ambiance, since it is literally, um, at the time I'm recording this, 3 o'clock in the morning. Now, for those of you in the paranormal community, you'll find that ironic, because that is known as the witching hour. Anyway, who am I? I am a lifelong paranormal enthusiast turned paranormal investigator. I've just been fascinated with ghosts and hauntings and the paranormal ever since I was a little kid, and I turned that into a passion. I started investigating, well, first I started out investigating friends' and families' homes that had odd experiences, and then I turned that up a notch and went into some more famous haunted locations. Um, Right now, I am currently living with my sister, who is also a psychic and a clairvoyant, and she's amazing at her work, and uh, I love her to death, and when we go to locations together, strange things do happen, and um, we're going to talk more about a particular case next week um, that jarred the both of us. It's... um, Something I don't think either one of us will ever forget, and uh, it's its own episode, trust me. You're going to want to hear about it. I will only mention it is called The Hinsdale House, and we will go much further into that next week. But I wanted to start off the very first episode with a case that got me into the paranormal. Um, This film was on when I was a child, I'd say probably around 10... That sounds about right, when I first saw it anyway. It's a case called the Amityville Horror. And I just remember being... Well, first of all, I remember the opening theme song of that movie when I was little. It just scared the you-know-what out of me. But at the same time, I like couldn't stop watching. So it just ignited this passion in me for finding out the mystery of life after life. So we're going to talk about the Amityville case tonight. And I'm hoping that I might tell you a couple things that you didn't already know. Uh, But at the same time, we'll be covering the bare bones facts of it. So some of it you may have heard. Either way, I'm glad you're here. And uh, I really will welcome your feedback. Afterward, I'll give you a Gmail address that you can contact me at and if you want a certain topic covered we can do that too or if you have questions i love getting questions about the paranormal um and if anybody is experiencing anything paranormal i can help you there too so the amityville case um basically on november 13th 1974 at 3 15 a.m yep 3 15 a.m 
a 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo Jr. murdered his entire family in his home while they were sleeping. He killed his parents and his four siblings, Dawn, Allison, Mark, and John Matthew, and he was only nine years old. The victims were found all face down in the house, and when Ronald DeFeo was questioned about it, he said that the demons made him do it, the voices in his head, and that once he started, he just couldn't stop. Um, that's disturbing in and of itself, but what was more disturbing is that Ronald DeFeo Jr. was known to have practiced in the occult and let's just say some dark worship and what some of you may not have known um, because they didn't really cover this in the original film but in the movie you saw a film that was wall what was um brick it was um there was a brick wall up in the basement and they removed the bricks and they found this room well in the actual case it was called the red room and it was essentially a red what I would describe as a storage unit that Ronald DeFeo Jr. used to store all his ritual tools. And um, you can imagine what some of the things they found in that room were. Um, that's where he, for lack of a better term, drew his strength so he could commit these horrible crimes. Um, he was very disturbed, very troubled, he had told friends that he was hearing voices and that there were shadow figures he was seeing and um, his father was becoming afraid. His own father was becoming afraid of his son uh, to the degree that Ronald DeFeo Sr., who was not a religious man, traveled to Canada to consult with an exorcist and that is not really widely known in the actual barebone facts of the case, but that is what happened. He traveled to Canada to discuss with an exorcist what he could do about the dark occurrences that were happening in his home and to his very own son. Um, he actually returned um, to Amityville with some religious statues, which he put in the backyard for protection because he felt very unnerved in his own home. And again, I said this earlier, but um, Ronald DeFeo Sr. was not known as a religious person. So that in and of itself sort of was an admission that something was going on in his home that was beyond his control. And just 13 months, yeah, the number 13, 13 months after the murders of the DeFeo family, George and Kathy Lutz moved into the house. Now, they didn't know that 28 days later that they'd all be fleeing the house and leaving all their possessions behind. Now, think about that. Here they used their life savings, put everything into this home, put his business on the line, that's George Lutz, and 28 days later... They're going to scramble from this home, leaving all their possessions behind. That is a heavy indicator that something not so kind was occurring at their house. Oddly enough, George Lutz had a striking, eerie resemblance to Ronald DeFeo Jr. 
the murderer of his family. Um, that's something I think they covered in the original film where they referenced it, like how much he looked like Ronald DeFeo. But um, if you look at pictures of the two, you can see there was a definite resemblance. And uh, actually, George Lutz said that he felt an instant, I guess you'd call an attachment to the home. Like he had been there before. He just had to have the house. And the house itself sits right on the Amityville River. Now, I've been to this home myself, and I can tell you that the water behind the home looks black. It looks solid black. And the house, what some of you may not know, is that it's situated in an area that was used by Native Americans as kind of a dumping ground for the sick and for prisoners. And that's right next to the home, this general area. And it was known to have bad energy. Um, they called the area itself the Devil's Quadrangle. Um, the um, Ketchum House is also about, I don't know, I guess you'd say about a quarter of a mile down from the Amityville House. And the Ketchum House had its own history because John Ketchum... Uh, how do I put this? He fled from Salem, Massachusetts because he was known to practice witchcraft. And that whole area was already charged. Now imagine this area which is already charged with Native American energy. Now a witch uh, congregates into the area and starts casting spells and using dark magic. You can imagine the charge that charge, that pure energy that that area has. Um, not helping matters any <laughs> was the fact that George Lutz apparently also liked to dabble in witchcraft. And my guess is when he started spellcasting in the home, that's what stirred up this malevolent energy that's known to uh, reside there. And they had things happen, like furniture was moving. Um, George Lutz started getting up at 3.15 every night and couldn't understand why. Well, 3.15 was the exact time that Ronald DeFeo Jr. committed the murders and shot his entire family. The Lutzes also claimed to smell like foul odors in the house and see what they described as green slime oozing from the walls and the keyholes. Well, I mean, my guess is that that would be ectoplasm. And for those of you who only know ectoplasm from the Ghostbusters movie, let me try to uh, <laughs> explain that ectoplasm uh, was a term used way before Ghostbusters. Um, that is essentially concentrated psychic energy that is attempting to manifest itself in a physical form ectoplasm is and has been found in many cases. Anyway, the family asked their local priest to come over and bless their home, which is Father Pecoraro, I believe was his name. And he arrived and he started blessing the home, as you do. Um, but whenever he got to any part of the upstairs, he got a very uneasy feeling. Um, he began to make his way, which I believe was on the second floor, to an area known as the sewing room. 
And that's the room in the movie where they show the priest having an experience. And what I mean by having an experience is he felt a sudden temperature drop in the room. And the room got ice cold. And now, along with the ice cold room, he saw flies emanate from seemingly nowhere. Um, they were just covering the window, and he did hear a voice that told him to get out. Uh, that was depicted in the original movie, but that was an actual thing that occurred. Uh, what they did not show in the movie is that he was also slapped in the face hard, and he, as you probably would, he immediately left the home and was freaked out. Um, he later, and I believe it was three days later, started developing stigmata marks on his hands, and these blisters would appear. And the doctor had no idea how this started, or the doctor didn't even have a guess, but of course the father knew that it was tied to this home. And when he tried to call the Lutzes to warn them about the activity in the home, he would always get static heavy snow on the other end of the phone um, which now in the paranormal world this is also an occurrence of and an indicator of something demonic or something evil because what that energy is doing is manipulating the energy in the phone lines to block you from being able to seek help and get help and they will manipulate anything with an electrical charge or anything with current um, it's very, very common in psychic phenomenon, but typical in a malevolent force as well. Now, probably the most famous aspect of the case was the pig-like creature that was seen in the upstairs uh, window of, I believe, his son uh, Daniel's room. Now, in the movie, uh, it was red eyes, and that was also accurate in the case. What I believe did not help in this case is that when the Lutzes moved in, they used all of the DeFeo's original furniture. And I'm talking about the beds as well. So can you imagine sleeping on a bed that somebody was murdered in and shot brutally in? Um, and by the way, I don't believe I mentioned this earlier, two of the family members were had known not to have been asleep when he committed this murder. So imagine being alive and seeing that your own family member is about to shoot you. Can you imagine the traumatic energy that would be in the air at just that awful despair and terror? And you're going to use this furniture in the home. So the Lutzes would walk by this went this um the bedroom and there was a rocking chair right by the window and they would often see when their son Daniel was not in the room the rocking chair just swing just swaying back and forth and Daniel originally liked his imaginary friend that he called Jody he would tell him things and play with him but Daniel became very frightened of this friend and I can only imagine the things that were whispered to him and possibly the images that he was given um, not an ideal situation, especially for a child, because the demonic feed on the innocent 
They love children. They love child energy. Uh, the activity, I would say, reached a boiling point when demonic figures were seen by the pool house, which is in the backyard. It looks exactly like it does in the original film. Again, I can tell you because I've seen it up close. And there were actually hoof prints in the snow leading to and from the back kitchen area to the pool house. And George and Kathy would see physical beings, shadow figures, um, around the house. And of course, they feared for their family's safety. And the front door actually ripped open um, to the home. And that is a police verified fact that happened. And that's not often talked about. Now, in the movie, they did make the door out to be a little bigger than it actually was. I mean, it was more of a, I guess, a screen um, screen door. But to be ripped off the hedges, that's a powerful force. <laughs> that is not your, uh, you know, you know, the energy that it would require to for a door to be ripped off its hinges. There's not many storms that would cause that. And guess what? It was not storming to that degree on the night of the murders. So uh, I don't know how anybody would try to explain that one away. There was also a very famous police photograph taken where a child seems to be peering out of the upstairs bedroom window. And it is very disturbing looking. I would invite you to uh, look it up for yourself. I think you'll be very unnerved. Well, the family took off in the middle of the night on, I believe, the 28th day, um, left everything. The whole room, the whole home was abandoned, and the Lutzes refused to ever walk back into that home. Now, of course, the Warrens, Ed and Lorraine, very famous ghost hunters, I'm sure you've all heard of them, got involved in the case, and George Lutz met up with Ed, but he would not go to the home. He said, I will meet you in town, but I will not go near that house. So I believe they met up at like a local pizza shop and he handed Ed over the keys to his home. Now, Ed always does uh, what you would call a primary search or a primary investigation before getting into an official investigation with his wife and their paranormal research team. So he took it upon himself to go and um, head down to the basement. Now, why would he go right to the basement, you'd say? Because in a paranormal case, and definitely in a evil or demonic case, the basement area is where they hide. They like anything with a lack of light. They don't want um, Christ's light. They don't want any kind of positivity. They are going to hide where it's dark and damp and can't be seen. That's where evil festers. So Ed went down there and he tried to do some EVP work and just get a general feeling of the atmosphere. And he was overwhelmed by something down there, um, almost driven to his knees. And he said it was like an electrical charge, like little electrical charges all over his body. Um, that definitely convinced him that there was more than just rumor to this haunted location. They assembled a small team and every single one of them had experiences in this house. 
one of the investigators was affected so badly that um, he was driven to his knees and he was plagued with heart palpitations. And I heard years later he did pass away of a heart attack. Whether that was linked to the home, uh, I believe so. But I'll let that um, be up to your discretion. <laughs> Whatever you believe. But I believe it was linked to the home. Uh, Lorraine Warren kept a medal of Padre Pio with her, which he was a famous exorcist. And when she got to the second landing of the home, she gripped that medal tightly and asked for his protection. Because when she stuck her face into that sewing room, she actually said out loud, this is as close to hell as I ever want to get because she got such a negative feeling in that room. Um, she also didn't like the energy in the main bedroom, which of course, um, the, the bed itself was from the murder, from the DeFeo's murder. So Lorraine being a psychic herself was probably picking right up on that energy. So, um, it's, <laughs> I can imagine the feeling in that home. Now, what most people don't know, because there are rumors out there, oh, this this uh, case was a hoax. Well, George and Kathy Lutz both passed lie detector tests. Um, and it was signed off by the person administering the test. Like, I, you know, that person did a thousand cases and said they're absolutely telling the truth. There was no um, deviation in any of their stories. Um, the rhythms matched up, and uh, I don't see how two people could have both passed a lie detector test with flying colors if they were not telling the truth. And as a matter of fact, there was a there was a special done. It was I believe it was called Amityville Revisited, um, roughly around 2013, where they brought separately three prominent psychics to the property. And all three psychics concluded that the energy was still there, that the energy was still dormant, and that um, it was just waiting. It was building up its strength to unleash it on whoever dares to um, live in that home. I would not recommend living in that home, especially people who are very dismissive of it because they will manipulate your energy even more so. They will use it and at very least um, make you feel very uncomfortable in that home. At the worst, we're talking potential possession, which is definitely not something you want to open yourself up to. And those of you who are listening to this that are even remotely into the paranormal, um, I am guessing you would agree that messing around with this energy and <laughs> trying to attempt fate would not be a good idea. So I personally, if I owned this place, I would, uh, I would not live there. I would just use it more as a uh, museum not to be touched and lived in because this thing will feed on your energy. Um, having been there, I can tell you that most people in the town, they're tight-lipped about it, but they all acknowledge that something happened there. Uh, they're not big on tourists. They call them the Amityville Horribles, the people that visit. But I did go into the town hall as well, and I could tell you that every phone call they got was about this case. 
And she would just say, no, we don't discuss it. We don't discuss it. Um, my dear friends, Stephen and Devin came with me and, um, Stephen and Devin wisely chose to stay on the side of the property. I myself did get to go right up to that famous front side door, um, which is right next to the kitchen area. And I touched the home and I got a good look of the backyard and I can tell you, uh, not being a psychic myself, that there is an absolute energy there. There's something that, uh, it has a presence. I'll put it that way. There is something I felt even just looking up at the windows. It was not, Hey, I get such a good energy about this place. I want to move in. (laughs) Um, so if you do go visit, I believe there's a sign there now, which they say you cannot go up to the front door, but if you do have a chance to visit the property, um, I think you'll get the same vibe that I got. You know, I wish I, you know, could have gone in there and really spent some time, but um, I don't think that would have been very wise either. (laughs) I would say that uh, if you are thinking about it, just proceed with caution. I will leave you with that. Um, There's much more I want to say about this case, but Literally, I only have three minutes left, and then my time is up for this podcast, this episode. So I want to thank you so much for listening to this this week. There's another topic we're going to get to next week, and a whole slew of topics I have for you in the coming weeks. So if there's any questions you have, if there's any case you want covered, just Footsteps Attic Podcast at gmail.com no question is too silly please I love corresponding with people who have any questions of a paranormal nature Um, I am also going to create a Twitter account which I will give to you in the next episode and I really appreciate each and every one of you listening this week I hope I um, was able to um inspire you a little bit to go maybe do some of your own uh, investigating but also I hope I warned you and dissuaded you from doing anything that uh, might harm you because we don't want any of that happening (laughs) I love my people I love my audience I love my family I love my friends so be safe out there everyone okay thank you so much for listening and I will see you next week